Killer Conspiracies, a Utah true crime podcast with Kobe and Brian. My name is Ted Bundy. I killed her. Yeah, that time I tied him up. Well, I'm not an expert. I'm not an authority. I'm someone who has been a murderer for almost 20 years. I was saving body parts such as uh, skulls. As well as cannibalizing and raping their headless bodies. Yo, we are live. I'm Brian, and that's... Kobe. <laughs> and today's podcast, he Kobe will be going first today. Yep, let's get right into it. I'm excited for this one. Give a shout out to my wife for proofreading it and fixing my mistakes. But oh, what a great wife! So I should have proofread yes. mine. But let's get into it. So this is murder at a Utah cabin. In a census in 2010 in Oakley, Utah, a city in Summit County, they had a population of 1,470 peoples, just about 45 miles away from Salt Lake City. And for some reason, a weird fact, Katherine Heigl lives in Oakley, Utah. If you don't know who she is, she's a really bad actress from Grey's Anatomy. But that isn't what we're here to talk about. So in 1990, just three days before Christmas, in the Oakley Mountains, a beautiful cabin, only reachable by snowmobiles, is where a crime scene brutal and senseless deaths had happened. A rookie officer even described it as a mini-war zone. The Tita family, who owned this cabin, the father Rolf, who was 51, his wife Kay, who was 49, and their two daughters, older of the two, Lene, who was 20, her younger sister, Trisha, who was 16, and their grandma, Beth, who was 76. I had seen reported on multiple articles, Granny Beth, as I'm going to call her, was partially blind and handicapped, but all sources were varying on those, so I'm not 100% sure. But this was the case families. Kay's, hey, the mom. Oh, God damn it, I'm getting all mixed up already. <laughs> Favorite place to be to get away from Texas. To have a white Christmas with their whole family. The family loved being able to go to their cabin for the holidays. The family went down to Salt Lake City to pick up Grandma Beth, but a big snowstorm had started, so they stayed in town until the next morning then went on their way to the cabin. Rolf and Trisha stayed in town to do some Christmas shopping. When Lene, her mom and grandma got to the cabin, Lene opened the door to a man with a revolver in her face. Jesus. Supposedly the men had been stalking and watching them for days. And there was actual video of one of the men took of the other guy opening their Christmas presents while they were breaking into their house, eating their food. And I've watched it. And it's, yeah. So Vaughn Taylor and Edward Deli, who were at a halfway house in Salt Lake City, had walked out and broke into the cabin. I had seen that one of their parents might have owned a cabin around there or that they broke into a few different ones before that but I couldn't prove that 100% 
Either way, Taylor was in prison for aggravated burglary, and Ed was in for arson. It is believed Taylor had a cabin up there as well, and they went to party. But the investigators were wrong, so I just answered my own question. While the family had went to Salt Lake City, Vaughn and Ed broke into the cabin, opened their presents, ate their food, and generally fucked up the cabin. Lene said in a later interview, They told me to come, come in, sit down, and shut up. They started asking her who was with her. She told them her mom and her grandma, who she called, I think she said Gammy, when I was listening to the interview, which was really cute. So, Vaughn started yelling at Ed to go get them. When he brought them back into the cabin, she watched him throw them both onto the ground. And I don't know if you know this, Brian, but a lot of times when there's murderers that team up, there's always one person that's more bossy, if that makes sense. One's more submissive. Yeah. So you'll definitely see what I'm talking about in a little bit, but that's a lot of things with people with multiple killers. There's always one that's kind of more of a puss. Or overboard. Yeah. So. Sorry, my friend's wife keeps messaging me on Facebook. Frizz guy. So. Lene started praying as she was scared, which who can blame this poor woman? But one of these dorks said, Shut up, that doesn't work. I'm a devil worshiper, which is so cringe and some shit I would have said as a teenager. Because I know I've said that kind of shit as a teenager. Because I, <laughs> I was too, cringy. <laughs> and her mom, Kay, tried to reason with the men, asking what they wanted and what she can give them. But then they shot her and her grandma while Lene watched. Gosh, which is just awful to make her watch that. While this was happening, her younger sister and father were at a snowmobile repair shop. Can you not blow your vape right into the mic, dude? Did you hear that? <laughs> yes, it was so loud. It's okay. Trisha said in the same interview I was watching, while she was waiting on her dad at the register, she had a horrible feeling wash over her like someone punched me in the chest, she said. She then told her dad, quote, Dad, something is wrong, quote. So Rolf tried to call the cabin. The phone did ring, and it pissed Vaughn off, so he ripped it off the wall. After no one answered, they realized something was wrong, and the two rushed to the cabin to see what was happening. And I'm sure they weren't expecting what they were going to walk into. Lene knew after the call they would be on their way to the cabin. She tried telling them just to leave, just to take her with them, so the rest of her family wouldn't get hurt. <coughs> they said, no, we can't leave, we can't leave you here. There are too many fingerprints, we have to burn it down. So, the men then moved the bodies onto the patio and went into the garage with Lene at gunpoint. While they were getting in there, 
they all heard the sound of snowmobiles coming up the driveway. The men walked out and held them at gunpoint as well, forcing them into the garage. Anne noticed the shock on her sister's face at only 16 and understanding, but the feeling she had was unimaginable. Trisha saw her older sister with a gun to her back, one of the men's arms wrapped around her neck. The other man was wearing a ski mask. Their father, Rolf, like his wife, tried to reason with them. Trisha asked her dad, quote, why don't you give them money, unquote. Rolf carefully unzipped his coat to grab his wallet and threw the money on the ground. But right as he did this, Vaughn told Ed, now shoot him. But Ed was having second thoughts about this after he'd already killed two people. But he then aimed the gun at Rolf, cocking it, and they noticed him starting to shake and hesitate to shoot. Rolf, who's an absolute badass, you'll see why, this okay. this man, oof, gives me chills just rereading this. So Rolf was trying to shield his daughters, holding his hand out, holding Trisha back out of the way. Hold on, I got a call. <coughs> Then Vaughn took out his gun, shooting and hitting Rolf in the head. He fell to the floor. Still moving, Vaughn shot him again, twice in the head. They then started to set the cabin on fire and planned on kidnapping the girls. So Vaughn went and poured gasoline throughout the cabin, lighting a match, catching it on fire, then he said, we have to get out of here before the place blows. But while the men were leaving with the girls, even being shot twice and set on fire, Rolf woke up in the garage. The man of men, that's what I'm calling him, manliest of men, got into the shower in the cabin to get the fire put out. But while leaving, he saw the blood trail that he then followed to discover his wife and mother-in-law. He then ran back into the already burning garage, got onto his snowmobile, and raced back down the canyon trying to find his daughters. No way. In yeah. The injuries he had were bad. He could hardly see, and he was losing a lot of blood. He only left in a blood-soaked t-shirt and a pair of jeans. He was near death, either by blood loss, hypothermia, or accident on the sled. While he was racing, the girls were being forced to drive the snowmobiles. But they didn't know their dad was on his way, like the absolute badass he is. But... Later, the police would see a trail of blood that he had been leaving behind him. While the girls were driving, Lene, the older sister, thought, My parents and grandma are dead. I'm the oldest now. I have to take responsibility for my sister. Trisha, who was driving the sled in front, thought about sacrificing herself, saying, quote, All I have to do is go fast and turn and throw this guy into a tree. I can't do, but then she said, I can't do this, I can't leave my sister. 
Just as they were about to reach their dad's car, they saw a man they, they recognized, Rolf's brother Randy, who was standing by the trail. The girls thought to themselves, Randy needs to know something's wrong. They wanted to signal him, but were worried about the men noticing. While they were trying to unlock the car, Randy started to approach them, because obviously he would notice his nieces. The girls knew they needed to hurry so the men wouldn't realize they knew him, as they didn't want him to be killed either. But he started running and screaming towards them, getting closer to the car. He was yelling, stop, stop, stop. But they were already in the car. As they were driving off, Trisha gave him a stoic look and had her hands on the heater. It looked like she was warming up her hands, but she was kind of waving them to signal her uncle. And Vaughn, who was driving the car, said, quote, What are you doing? Put your hands down, unquote. Trisha said, I am not putting my hands down. In an interview, Randy said, They aren't waving at me or reacting to me. That's when I knew something was wrong. Trisha, being smart as hell, knowing she needed to somehow get them to slow down to give her uncle some time, she tells the men, I have to go to the bathroom. Smart move. Amazingly, they they stopped, saying, okay, but if you do anything, anything funny at all, consider yourself, your sister dead. And doing this is exactly what Randy need, needed. As they were stopped, Rolf was coming up on Randy. Then Randy noticed it was his brother. It wasn't easy to recognize him as he was shot twice in the head, covered in blood in just a t-shirt and pants. And his face was very swollen as well. Rolf told Randy, my girls have been kidnapped. My wife has been shot. Randy then got him into his vehicle as fast as he could to get down the canyon to get help. Cell phones weren't everywhere in 1990, but luck would have it that Randy did have one. Unfortunately, the tech wasn't as good as it is now. He kept trying to call 911 for around four miles, but it wouldn't get a signal. Worried about his family, he drove like a bat out of hell and caught up to them within five miles. He followed behind them and finally the call went through and the Summit County cops were sent out within minutes they were on his, their trails. The cops were closing in on very icy roads and Vaughn started to panic, going over 100 miles an hour and the girls were very scared. They noticed multiple cops on them trying to get distance from them. With the icy roads, they tried to turn and slid and hit into the side of a gas station. Then the cops had swarmed around them. Vaughn said, quote, get back, I have a gun, I will kill them, unquote. The cops did back off and Vaughn flees again. And in, and in another turn in the canyon, Vaughn started losing control of the car repeatedly hitting the guardrail. Then the car flipped down the ravine. The, pl the police surrounded the car wreck and Vaughn said, quote, okay, we made a pact, we're caught, we don't want to go back to jail, unquote. He pointed the gun at Ed, saying, I'm going to kill us now, 
had smacked the gun away and jumped jumped out of the car, ducking behind the door, starting to shoot at the officers, and Vaughn did the same thing with a hunting rifle. The girls were still in the car, and the car was getting shot up by the cops. Trisha leaned back to talk to her sister, thinking it would be the last time they held hands, and she was scared because Trisha thought Lene was hit by bullets as they kept coming into the car into the leather of the seats, but luckily they were both unhurt. After a while, and almost out of ammo, the men gave up and were arrested. The cops then took the girls to the hospital. When they got there, they saw Randy, who was covered in blood, but smiling ear to ear. They ran to him and hugged him. At this time, they still thought their dad had died, but Randy told him, your dad is alive. They were so happy with this miracle, they knew he was strong and had to fight to get his daughters back. Both of these men are heroes to these girls and everyone. Eventually, he made a full recovery, and together with the three of them, they made a badass witness team against Vaughn and Ed during their trial. Ed was convicted of two counts of second-degree murder and is still in prison. Vaughn pleaded guilty to two counts of capital murder, and he was given the death penalty. Rolf said in an interview, he won't be able to do that to another family. And... So the family then rebuilt the cabin and still use it to this day for holidays. Yep. And almost 20 years after this tragedy, Rolf passed away of natural causes in 2008. He was a loving father and grandfather. Vaughn would appeal his death sentence many times, saying he was factually innocent. His sentence was turned over and it's now life. My sources for this are Goldcast Video, Medium.com, 48 hours, live to tell, three days before Christmas. God That's my story. Damn. That was a fucking good one, dude. This shit sent tingles Right? I had chills. Mind. Yeah. That dad is such a badass. I should've, I shouldn't have, yeah, I shouldn't have given away that he was still alive so soon. I should've just fucking you should have uh, got too excited like the very end and put a picture of him too dude that's that guy's a fucking hero I, and randy i have a lot of pictures <coughs> of this a lot oh. of crime scene pictures i probably can't post online because there's a lot of blood they'd probably be on the socials then maybe i'll post some of them look dude that was a fucking good one dude thank right. you i appreciate it let me get into mine. Um, I didn't reread it like you did, but I think I, I did pretty good. So mine's on Jealousy Kills Mother and Baby. So that's that's the start of it. Hold on, how do I sound, Kobe? You sound beautiful, Brian. Thank you. The introduction of this. A woman and her infant son vanish as the husband is very frantic the clues are scarce but hope does linger even as the hours and time runs by without a word was it foul play was she on the run it was an investigation full of blind alleys and dead ends 
the FBI had to revisit the past. Okay, so that's the... dude. That already gave me chills. Holy shit! Look at you go. That, I wrote that myself. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Thanks, dude. So at Catasqua, Pennsylvania, not in Utah. Sorry, Kobe. One hour of north of Philadelphia, it was a quiet, blue-collared town and a safe place to raise a family, right? By December 15, 1994, the town was getting prepared to decorate for the holidays. Inside the home of 26-year-old um, Joanne Catherine, or Catherine, married and newly mo mother to her four-month-year-old son, Alex, she was very excited to sell. Hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. You just, you just said four months year old. <laughs> I told you I didn't freaking pre-proofread this shit, man. It's okay. I just gotta give you some shit. That was funny. Thank you, thank you. Hopefully the viewers get a laugh. Just. <laughs> she was very excited to celebrate her first Christmas with Alex, the newborn. Joanne and her mother-in-law planned to spend the day at the mall. She called her mother-in-law to let her know that Joanne and Alex are ready and dressed. Joanne wanted to give or find the perfect gift for her husband she's been married with for two years, Andy. Even though they didn't have a lot of money, Joanne's uh, been saving up to get his gift. Joanne had some bad luck with her ex-husband as he was abusive. The marriage was ended and divorced, but she seems to be happy now with Andy. Her husband came home around 6 o'clock that evening after a long days of work, but he was self-employed as a contractor with his dad and sometimes worked long hours before meeting Joanne. Andy was nothing but a bachelor before. Um, usually Joanne and Alex were waiting for him before he came home, but not this time. It didn't seem to worry him as it was almost Christmas and traffic was pretty busy around this time. Andy saw that Joanne left chicken out on the counter to defrost and went to settle in the waiting, um, settle and waiting for them. Settle in and waiting for them. There you go. An hour went by, then another, but, but still Andy didn't seem concerned while drinking beer and watching TV. Around 8 p.m., Andy called his mother as he knew they were going to go to the mall together, but she said that she never came by, nor did she answer her phone calls. <clears throat> Andy searched around the house as he was getting worried and found that the basement door locked um, looked like it was broken into. So Andy ended up calling the police. Two catasoc or Katasaka officers showed up at the door. By then, Andy's parents were there as well. Andy started telling the police what he knew, um, that they never ended up going to the wall, I mean to the mall, broken locks to the basement door. Andy claimed that she was abducted. The police be believed that he was right. <clears throat> as the investigation went from the city police, they moved up to state troopers to help out. The lead of the investigation was Agent Robert, but while the troopers were doing their investigations, Andy's father was looking around town trying to find any sorts of clues. When he ended up finding Joanne's tan Toyota was found 
backed up in a parking um, spot at <coughs> Marconis Tabber, which is a bar. Um, down the street from their house, only a couple miles away, inside was her keys and a small bottle of her maze. Um, the police... Maze? Maze, yeah. When, however you want to say it. The police support a uh, suspected foul play. That is, when the troopers did what they usually do with these cases, is look into the family members. And he ended up finding other things... Um, and later noticed the, the troopers. What led him down in the basement was a cut telephone wire disconnecting the phone so Joanne couldn't call for help. The troopers ended up having Andy walk through of how his day went and further investigated him about his past. Finding out that he was a pro boxer, good with his fist, and a boxing instructor when he moved into Pennsylvania. Troopers asked to bring in some financial records, phone records, and some checks. As Andy said, he was building a room addition with his dad um, for one of his clients just a few miles away from home. Um, and the troopers demanded a polygraph on Andy later, finding out he was telling the truth. The troopers were led to another dead end. The troopers started... Well, polygraphs are so... Like, you can't even use those in court, so I don't know why they even do those. They still do them to this day. They're not admissible in court at all. They're not, they're so finicky. Really? I mean, I guess it makes yeah, sense, because like, it's like any type of sort of movement and shit. You have yeah, to be, like, you completely breathe too heavily. still. Yeah. Like, all the above. And have a heart rate. <laughs> but this, yeah, this Sorry. investigation went for years, dude. Like, it's crazy, and pretty sad um so what happened was the troopers started investigating anyone related or friends of andy and joanne local state and troopers were all getting their hands into this investigation trying to find any clue six days before christmas it seems that they have managed um without a trace now investigators traveled across state lines to New Jersey where Mike Jack, Joanne's ex-husband, was working. Maybe Joanne came to rekindle with her ex-husband or vice versa. But Mike had a solid alibi, as did Andy's ex-girlfriend, Pat Rora. Keep that name in mind. That lives in South, oh. Ca that lives in South Carolina. Troopers went back to the bar where the car was backed up and asked the people that were um, working there and everyone else that was at the bar, but no one had any idea. They even went around um, Andy's and Joanne's neighborhood to ask um, and ended up finding out one of his neighbors had a renter living downstairs that was a handyman. That also had a camp out place in a different area he would go to during the summer times he had a background of breaking and entering so they took him in for some questioning but he was clean back to the back to a dead end the troopers gave um, the public a telephone line to reach if they saw anything and they they ended getting or ended up getting some info from the public but the information was some guy um, was yelling at a lady with the baby and walked on a trail while he was yelling at her and she looked frightened but it wasn't Joanne or Alex. 
The troopers searched in a straight line around the trail and still didn't find anything. They were getting a lot of info from lo locals from the phone line they gave out, <clears throat> but still everything just isn't adding up. Christmas passed and spring began. Then on a April 9th, a farmer was tealing his land and came upon something that he thought was a pile of clothes. Once he got closer, a closer look, he ended up or ended up realizing it was a baby and a mother. He called the police as they came to check out what it was. They were devastated and angry of what they saw. It was Joanne and Alex decaying bodies. Joanne laying on her back with the gunshot wound to her head and her face beaten. Alex just laying on Joanne's chest, not knowing he, um, not knowing how he passed. But they started investigating the crime scene, and they ended up finding Alex rattle and bottle nearby. The autopsy for Joanne showed that she was shot once with the 22 caliber bullet and beaten 19 times with the blunt object. All the locals were hoping for them to be alive but ended up getting disappointed after fi finding out what happened. The forensics was still not able to figure out how Alex was killed, maybe suffocation or was left to die of exposure. The FBI kept investigating around the woods and found a couple pieces of hair, matching hair that they earlier found in Joanne's tan Toyota. They took it into forensics, but took them some time to be able to identify if both um, the hairs were a match. The hair they first found in the Toyota had some red um, follicles, um, which was later figured out that it was Joanne's blood. The troopers retracted or retraced the killer's step and, and going through all their evidence to get a better understanding of who this person could be. Someone that is comfortable enough to abduct, abduct a mother and a child in broad daylight. Someone who wanted to use brute force or someone that knew the rural area where they find the found the bodies. So they took Andy for a drive around the rural area to figure if he could picture anybody that would know it best or try to jog his memory but he couldn't think of anything the troops were left to a dead end but just as andy was about to leave he remembered something he remembered his ex-girlfriend pat rora says she worked at a stable taking care of horses before they broke up Andy hold said on, hold on, hold on, hold on. so she's the husband's ex yeah andy's Okay. So, okay. I thought that was the. I thought that was the ex-husband's girlfriend. Okay. Okay. No. No. I got no. confused. Continue. Okay, okay. Okay. Glad. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm pretty sure they're asking that. Um. Pat Rora says she worked at a stable. Take. Okay. Andy said he couldn't think of. Um. Of the name, and he said that he could lead them to there. And as the troops knew. Um. Knew, but. But Andy didn't. Or wait, Andy said, okay. As the troops knew, but Andy didn't. He was leading them to where they found Joanne's and Alex's bodies. Andy was nice enough to let Pat live with him for a little, but was nothing but friends because he ended up finding Joanne and was, um, and was like love at first sight when they saw each other. 
Now Andy told the investigators about something that happened three days before Joanne's and Alex's disappearance. On December 12th, Joanne answered a phone call. It was Pat Rora. Joanne told Rora not to call again and that he has a baby with her, then hung up. One reason why they couldn't uh, put it on Pat because the hair they found was blonde and she was a brunette. The troopers took a trip to North Carolina to further investigate into Pat's alibi, which was that she went to go get a tan at a place around the valley and went to her dance class where she usually goes to. Investigators went to the tanning place where Pat said she went to. The alibi was quickly denied, as the owner said that the store was closed that day because they had a birthday. They also went to the dance club to investigate and that alibi was denied as well as a sign in the sh- uh, as a sign in sheets shows that she was there the day before and the day after the abduction happened the investigators were only missing one more thing where the where did the murder weapon come from as pat denied she never bought a gun the troopers later ran into pat's old ex-boyfriend and they ended up finding out she was very troublesome and would get super defensive. Later found out um, she pulled out a little 22 that she bought for $50 at a yard sale they would use for target shooting. One time when they were arguing, explaining that it was a piece of... Um, one time that they were arguing, sorry. Explaining that it was a, a piece of junk as the detectives found a bullet next to the crime scene predicting that the gun jammed before she shot Joanne in the head. They ended up, fi- um, ended up getting a search warrant for Pat's house trying to find the gun. They couldn't find the gun but they found a bunch of 22 casings in the backyard. Agent um, Kasvar told the event organizer for a photo of Pat at the stable where they had a radio event or a rodeo sorry event and later saw that she has blonde hair at the time they later later went on to collect pat from her house under a warrant to collect blood and hair sample from her so analyze analyzers can compare the hairs it took them at least a year to be able to analyze that there was no question that pat rora was the killer and the one who left the hair behind. In the early morning of June 24, 1997, investigators arrived at Rora's house with an arrest warrant and female detectives followed her upstairs to watch her while she got changed and dressed her 18-month-year-old daughter. But it yielded um, to the most damaging evidence of the case. While she was getting the baby dress, Pat was murmuring, to her baby the female detectives caught her saying quote i wouldn't have brought you to this world if i knew i was going to get caught as she was crying pat in broad daylight ended up using a crowbar to break break the back door to the basement going down there before she heard joanne about to leave rushing to her while joanne was putting alex in the car pat blindsided joanne telling her to drive as pat sat in the bat with back with the 22 held at Joanne's head leading her to the stable where she worked before and shot Joanne and left Alex there to die Patricia's 
defense emphasized that there was no evidence placing Patricia in the area at the time and dismissed the jealousy motives as ridiculous. The jury disagreed uh, and on March 7, 2008, after just two hours of deliberation, they found Patricia Rohrer guilty and two counts of murders and two counts of kidnapping. She received a life, se life sentence without the possibility of parole. And that's my story. That was pretty quick, oh, man. That was, Holy crap. That was sad. I, that was I, sad, though. Yeah, dude. Like I said, I put this into my own words. The The source that I use is YouTube, True Crime. Um, and he's really good and emphasizes that shit, but... It was an hour-long video, and I just wanted to freaking knock it down so we're, it's not an hour long, you know what I mean? But it it is really, really one sad thing that, to you. One thing that makes no sense is why would he not tell them that she had called right before? He had to have known she was a little crazy or something. Yeah, dude. I'm I... not blaming him, but I'm... That's the crazy part. He told mm -hmm. them, right, like, af actually, like, I think either half of year after at all this is ha going on, so, like, six months. And, um, you know, the thing that this guy had to go through, they took him, they didn't even tell him where, I mean, that he, where she got killed and all that, you know, and then she had, they ended up just leading, or he ended up leading them to where she got killed at, or Joanne and the baby. You know, and um, the things I, I didn't, mean. the things I didn't put into here, like, like I said, she had they, the technology was so, I mean, outdated back in the day. It took them a year just to mm -hmm. be able to freaking figure out the hair follicles, and compare them basically. <clears throat> and yeah. so and nowadays was... they can catch people from, like the Golden State Killer who was killing back in the 70s was just caught in 2018 because of family geology. Damn, that's fucking crazy, dude. Have you ever listened to that story? I've heard of this story, but I, have, I haven't I have heard that of, like, the shit that you just said, that the geology shit. Yes, yeah, so like, you know, like the 23andMe, like the family ancestry stuff? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you send a swab or oh, spit yeah, to them actually, and they'll your family tree. Oh, yeah, I did hear about that. So yeah, they, well, if the listeners didn't know, basically, someone that was related to that guy sent their DNA in, and it's going through court cases, so they can't use it as much now, but they got a hit on DNA from, like, 13 murders, tons of rapes in California, Holy and they caught shit. the dude. Yeah, man. God damn, this is crazy. Yeah, bro, you can never, it's not, it's easier to catch people nowadays, but back in the day, holy fuck, I can only imagine, you know? Like, yeah, I, unless I, they're truck drivers. <laughs> I think there was the, what's it called? I think it was the one in Idaho, the one where they had to have the buddy system in that college and shit for the longest oh, time. Oh, yeah, the, the, like, that one guy who killed like four students in a like a house in one night. Yeah, dude, that's fucking. Yeah, that like, imagine if you're going to that school and you're freaking, 
having to do the buddy system, I, I can only imagine how a girl feels, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's what really, that's why, like, if I ever have a daughter, I am going to train her how to use a gun. And I'm going to be like, don't, it's going to sound really shitty, but don't put yourself in situations where something could happen. It's true. I also don't want, I also don't want her to be scared to tell me or my wife anything, you know? Like, that's the same way I am with my son. Like, I mean, granted, he has autism. He can't talk right now. But, like, when he's older, I don't want him to be like, oh, I did something bad. I don't want dad to get mad at me or his mom. Because I know she'll be the same way, yeah. hopefully. <laughs> but, I mean, if, I, if I ever have yeah. a daughter, I'm going to... Because after listening to so many of these for so long, I'm, like, such a helicopter parent now. So, like, You're just hovering anytime... Around. Oh yeah, like, I barely take my kid to stores, mm-hmm. just because you never know. He could run off, and next thing you know, he's gone. Dude, yeah. Nay, nay. Yeah, and, like, I don't... I've seen a couple of bad parents too, bro, like, even driving around, um, like, the store parking lots and everything, like, there's, there's, a, uh, I mean... I highly respect for the parents of taking care of them and everything, making sure they're all dressed and all that, looking pretty nice. But they take their eyes off the ch- uh, child for a quick second. They can fucking run out of the road and get ran over, dude. Mm-hmm. And I've seen yeah, that happen a terrifying. couple times, dude. It's fucking crazy. Dude. Yeah, that's that's why I I just cause he's the same way. Cause like with all kids. You know, they're all playing and stuff, but once they go quiet, you're automatically like, what are you doing? Where'd you go? <laughs> yeah, dude. And then half the time, my son's dunking his head into the toilet. <laughs> I don't know why. He does that sometimes. I'm just like, what? Oh, man. So, you know, just... Yeah, dude. So, anything yeah. could happen at any time, bro. That's, yeah. that's the crazy part. You can't stop it. Yeah, that's... Oh, but you can prevent it. Yeah, right? You can prevent it. I, I think, I know there's a lot of people that don't like guns, and they're like, oh, I'll just have pepper spray or a knife, or like the key punchy things that you put on your key rings. No, because if someone is dead set on doing something shitty, they're not going to let something like that stop them. But if you have, let's say, a 38 snub nose in your purse, you have a 9mm Glock in your purse, you have a 22 caliber even though they suck you pull that shit out and you pop them in the knee they're you're good backing off yeah hell yeah or even throw one shot in yeah, the maybe. air unless they have oh a no too. no 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 like if my if if no i anytime i if i know anyone with a concealed carry it's like no if they're advancing on you and you know you're in trouble just don't I mean, yeah, they're always like, hit the center mass, the chest. But I think, this is just me, I would rather shoot a dude in the knee so he's sitting there suffering. <laughs> and then kick him in the face, man. Can't right forget nuts, that part. Dude. Yeah. Oh, man. Face the nuts. Bite <laughs> him off. <Arr! laughs> Alright, well, I think that was a good freaking sesh. <laughs> 
I mean, yeah, my, dude, that was good. Mine was a couple days from Christmas. It passed Christmas. Mine too. Yours was a couple days from Christmas. But other than that, hopefully. We didn't even plan that. I, yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. Did we? Yeah, last we? last podcast. Oh. <laughs> I was about to do my alien Never story, mind. but then my my lady started talking about uh, story Christmas time, and then fucking bell struck or light struck, and then it was so much easier because the one I was doing, I think I'm, I'm gonna need some days to be able to fucking do that research, dude, because they're yeah. fucking yeah. hiding that shit. Yeah, I'm gonna. I have some pretty cool conspiracy ones I'll, I wrote down, and I'll send you the list of what I have so you can check them out. Okay. I think I'm going to do that for, like, true crime, too. Just make a list. All right. Yeah, dude, send them my way. Or put them on the link shit mm-hmm. that, that we have on Google Docs. Yeah. Yeah, well, under there, I don't know if we're releasing this tonight or on Christmas. So, either way, we hope everyone has a safe Christmas and a fun time. Make sure to drink if you're with family you don't want to be around. <laughs> <laughs> but don't drink and drive. But don't drive drunk. Yeah, there you yeah. go. We, we're we both thinking the same thing. But yeah, let's go ahead and end be it. Be safe and have fun. Time. Have Happy holidays, everyone. We'll be here next Merry year. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Killer Conspiracies. I'm Kobe. That's Brian. Please rate five stars. Follow on Twitter, Instagram, at KillerConPod. There's a Facebook group and page, Killer Conspiracies with Kobe and Brian. And if you have any requests or anything, email us at KillerConPod at gmail.com. Please share with all your friends. Thank you. We will see you next week.